Welcome to the new 24-Minute Bible Podcast, where each week we seek to understand the practical truths of the Bible and how they can change our lives. And now, here's your podcast host, Pastor Mark Miner. One of my favorite things to do each week is the 24 minutes that I get to spend with you, my listeners, uh, my faithful listeners, I hope, as uh, we journey together with a task, with a goal to reach the mountain of understanding about and, and uh, around this book called the Bible. You may be a, a Christian, you may be a searcher or a seeker, you may be a, an atheist who says this can't be true, but however you come to this platform and however you come to this podcast, I'm thankful. And uh, my, my goal is to help the Bible make some sense to you uh, from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation, there is a plan, there is a purpose, there is a thread that runs throughout the book. It is not just 66 different books stuck together with duct tape and super glue. Uh, it is God's plan and purpose as he weaves his will as well as his revelation through these chapters and through these books. So thank you for stopping by. Today uh, we are looking at the book of Joshua, book number six in the Old Testament. One of the things that I, I've said numerous times is a lot of people try to read through the Bible. That's a great thing to do. Uh, God bless you if you're trying to do that. But it is, as they say around here, a slog, a difficult task sometimes. It gets a little swampy in some areas. That's okay. Keep on. Be faithful if you are reading through. But that is not my goal, is to go deep and, and to walk through those rivers. In fact, we talk about mountains at the 24-Minute Bible Podcast because we're just going to hit the top. But I do believe that as we cover these mountains, today we'll be looking at the four mountains of Joshua, as we cover these mountains, I think the Bible will begin to make some sense for you. And you'll go, maybe you'll have that aha moment where, hey, yeah, it does make sense. There is a plan. There is a purpose. And, and if you can see that, I will have accomplished my goal. And uh, hopefully you will be on the path to what I believe will be a, a journey toward truth. So thank you. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Joshua today, as I mentioned. But before that, let's just do a little review I'm an educator. I teach. I've taught for 25 years. And so as a teacher, as a professor at a junior college, one of the things I do quite often is we review certain concepts. And so I, I just a big picture, just some terms. If you can remember one thing out of each of the 66 books of the Bible, you will be successful uh, compared certainly to other students around you and the general population. Now, you can dive much deeper, of course, into all of the books, and I encourage you to do so. But let's just do a little review. Here we go, just for fun, okay? No grade, uh, not even a pop quiz. Here we go, though. The book of Genesis. What would you say the book of Genesis is? Oh, I hear some voices. Yes, it's a book of beginnings. Genesis is the beginning. It's the beginning of time, the beginning of man, beginning of sin, the beginning of bloodshed, the beginning of, of life on planet Earth, all of those things, and also the beginning of a man by the name of, or a calling of a man by the name of Abraham in Genesis 12, who becomes uh, the focus of the rest of the book of the rest of the Old Testament from Genesis 12 on. We'll be talking about Abraham and his kids and his grandkids for generations to come until we reach 
the uh, ultimate uh, son of Abraham, his name is Jesus Christ, who came uh, to die on the cross for sin, according to the Bible. I certainly believe that. So the, the entire book of Genesis, really from 12 on, chapter 12 on, begins to focus, narrow down to this one man, this one tribe, if you will, this one people, all the way to Acts chapter 2, which is the beginning of the church, and now it's back to the entire world. So uh, that's what we're looking at. So the book of Genesis uh, is, is all about, about beginnings. Exodus, well, it's the exit, and it's Moses coming out of Egypt. And then we looked at uh, Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So Leviticus means law, and it's more than just laws and rules and regulations. It really is the birthing of a nation. As in Leviticus, God gives the children of Israel, these people who have been in slavery for uh, 400 years or so, he gives them holidays, he gives them a calendar, he gives them a religion, offering, he gives them a tabernacle, a place to worship, and most importantly, he gives them himself. From his uh, presence with them in the tabernacle, the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day as they traveled together, uh, all in the book of Leviticus. So uh, many great things there in those chapters. Difficult reading sometimes because Leviticus is a law book. And so it can be boring. It's supposed to be. It's about rules and regulations on how to do things. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, what's next? Uh, Yes, Numbers. And Numbers starts with a census, the book does, and it ends with a census. So the book of Numbers is about the census, and it's also about the 40 years of wandering in between those two censuses. I think that's the correct way to say it. Uh, in between those two numberings, uh, there those 40 years, lots of experiences. You would know many of them if we talked about it, but uh, we're not going to do that today because we want to get to the book of Joshua. But the last book that Moses wrote, which is what we talked about last week in episode 153, this is episode 154, the last book I talked about last uh, week was the book of Deuteronomy which means uh, the words of, or a second law, if you will. It's Moses' farewell speech. If you just remember that Deuteronomy is a recounting of Moses as he's about to die, and he's telling all of his children, all of these million or so individuals who are now following and getting ready to go to the promised land, he's recounting for them all that God has done for them in the 40 years. It's a second word. It's a second law. It's the words, the farewell speech of Moses. Wow. Okay. You just covered the books, you just covered the Torah, the books of Moses. And so if you know a little bit about those books, my friend, you're way above most people in church because we don't put those things together. We know isolated incidents, but we don't put together the understanding of how the history flows as well as God's plan. So today, the book of Joshua, before I give you a couple of uh, verbal cues and uh, a couple of things just to hang your hat on, so to speak, to remember the book of Joshua, uh, let me mention to you that we encounter some very difficult things in the Bible. The Bible is a book of faith. It's a book of history. It's a book of truth. But just as much as believing Darwin's theory of evolution or the, uh, Stephen Hawking's creation and how science uh, explains the universe, all of those type of things, uh, we have to have faith as well 
to believe the Bible. And the critics often say and usually stumble over three different things. It's either the miracles in the Bible, how in the world could that happen? That doesn't fit according to science. And I would agree, that's a difficult thing. You have to believe in a supernatural God because God does do miracles according to what the Bible says. Also, there's the chronology, putting the pieces together. And that is a struggle. Let's be honest about that. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's very exciting to try to put the pieces together. It's just like a jigsaw puzzle that doesn't discount the Bible when we can't easily go one, two, three, four, five. It just means that people's lives overlapped. Uh, different times and situations were taking place uh, and we're reading about them and we think they're all sequential and many times they're not sequential. God didn't demand the authors as he spoke through them to put them down in some kind of chronological order always. So the chronology is there and we have to make that fit sometimes. But then today, the book of Joshua, one of the more difficult things in subject in the Bible is the bloodshed. There was a lot of death in the Bible. There's a lot of death in our world. There's a lot of death because of sin, at least in my opinion, and because of what uh, has happened to humanity. And the Bible does not shy away from that. And you may uh, shudder a little bit, particularly as we get into the book of Joshua here, because the book of Joshua is a book about war. Joshua is taking the children of Israel to war as they get ready to conquer the promised land. Let me help you understand it in a, a little more current way. I am uh, not necessarily a historian, but reading about World War II and reading about civil wars and, and some of the other uh, events that have shaped our lives. And let's face it, we use wars as kind of definition and term points for us in humanity. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. World War II there was a battle in the South Pacific. It was intense. It was bloody. It was tragic beyond our ability to understand sometimes, but it was also necessary for the peace of the world. The Allies' strategy for winning the South Pacific against the Japanese forces was a very straightforward one. One island at a time. I'm going to say some names here. Midway, Guadalcanal, Wake Island, the Philippines, Saipan, Okinawa, and of course Iwo Jima. Island by island, moving in to the ultimate attack, which was going to be to step on the shores of Japan and bring this war to an end, bring the war to the people who at that time had begun the war at Pearl Harbor. Now, military experts suggest that the landing of troops, the American troops and the Allied troops, on and fighting the battle there in Japan would have cost upwards of one million American troops' lives. And probably at least that many Japanese, and some uh, experts say many more because they were willing to fight to the death. These are the kamikaze uh, individuals who are ready to die for their emperor, die for their country. All of this to say that it was a bloody affair. Then came the bomb. The atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and then secondly Nagasaki. Uh, to this day, historians argue on both sides about the morality of dropping the bomb. 
eliminating two cities and taking the lives of many, many civilians. Certainly over 70,000 people died in the initial blast of the nuclear bomb in Hiroshima and many more later from the effects of radiation. However, I'm going somewhere with this, however, dropping the bomb saved the lives of over 2 million people who would have died in battle had the experts were the experts correct. And it ended the war. And it brought about a peace. A peace that endures, at least between America and Japan, to this day. My goodness, Japan, uh, they own the auto market in many ways. Uh, And I'm not going to say that the atomic bomb caused that, but it certainly was the beginning of a whole different relationship between Japan and America. Now, how does that compare? What are we talking about, Mark? You're on the book of Joshua. Well, my friends, as we talk about the book of Joshua, uh, there, it is a change point. Uh, there is going to be war. There is bloodshed, and we'll talk about that, at least touch on that mountain. Uh, let me give you the four mountains that we're going to talk in, about. And again, I just use mountains as sort of high points, uh, as just an analogy to help you understand a little bit about the book. If you just simply know that the book of Joshua is about the conquest of the promised land, uh, you're successful already. But we're going to go a little deeper than that. The four mountains of Joshua. Mountain number one, Joshua takes over. Moses is going to die. Joshua is now in charge. The second mountain is Jericho. The third mountain is the conquest of the promised land. And the fourth mountain is the division of the land. So we're going to talk about the book of Joshua. Here we go. Let's speak first of Joshua taking over. It's a very interesting uh, Uh, approach that God has to Joshua. If you'll remember in Deuteronomy, the Bible tells us that God buried Moses. So Moses went up on the mountain, Mount Nebo. Uh, He sees the promised land. He dies at the age of 120. And the scripture clearly says God himself buried Moses. So Joshua wasn't there. He didn't know. They didn't have a funeral for Moses. But now God speaks to Joshua and the first words he says to him, Moses, my servant is dead. No soft pedaling there. Uh, God is giving Joshua a wake-up call that it's your time to shine. It's your time to take over. Moses is no longer here to handle it. It's all up to you. So Joshua takes over. There is a handoff of power. And now the power is uh, handed and, and centered upon the leadership of Joshua. As Joshua begins to lead, there's some interesting things that happen in the first five chapters of the book of Joshua. Again, going a little deep, you may or may not remember this. You're going to remember the situations, uh, whether you put it all together. Uh, it's a little, uh, it's a lot of meat for the bones, and we're here to talk about the skeleton, the bones. But, but still, I think you'll know in, uh, these stories, and at least uh, you'll, you'll benefit from them. One of the interesting uh, things that happens is uh, they send out spies to to the to look at the first city that is going to be attacked, the city of uh, Jericho. And you might remember there was a lady by the name of Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute in the city. She lived on the city gate, and she knew that 
something was about to take place. When the spies came in, the two spies, she welcomed them. She hid them and took care of their life. Uh, and, of course, ultimately she escapes with her family and anybody else that was in her house. Now, you can read about that on your own, but what's interesting is, uh, and maybe unknown to you perhaps, is who Rahab was, or perhaps better yet, who she became. Rahab married one of the, she became a believer in Jehovah God. She uh, adopted the God of the Israelites as her God and genuinely uh, bought in because she had seen the things that Jehovah God, Moses' God, and now Joshua's God had done. Uh, Rahab marries a man by the name of Solomon. You might not know him, but you know his son probably because Rahab and, and Solomon had a son by the name of Boaz. Yeah, Boaz that married Ruth. So understand here, just to, to pull a few things out, Rahab is the <clears throat> mother-in-law of Ruth. Her son Boaz marries Ruth. We'll read about Ruth in the book of, yes, Ruth. And going on down the line, uh, we, we see that Rahab becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. Interesting, isn't it, that this lady who uh, had a sketchy past but who stepped up in faith is uh, brought into the line not only of King David, but when you read the genealogies in Matthew and Luke, you find out that uh, she is also in the genealogy of, yes, Jesus the Christ. Here's a Canaanite woman who has been brought into the genealogy, the lineage of Jesus. Because, my friends, it's never been about the Jews. They were simply the vessel, the tribe, uh, the, the way that, that God was going to show up on earth through their lineage. But it's always been about saving the world. John 3.16 has always been true, for God so loved the world. Joshua crosses the Jordan, and the Jordan River parts. Actually, it heaps up on one side, and so they go through on dry land, perhaps a sign to the children of Israel that as God was with Moses, he's now with Joshua. Moses had a burning bush experience when he met with God. Joshua has a commander of the army of the Lord of hosts experience when in Joshua 4 he has an encounter with uh the commander of the army, uh, many people believe that this was a, an encounter with Jesus Christ. So the first part of it simply is the handoff of power and is a solidifying of power in Joshua's hand as he now takes over the leadership of these million or so people who are about to go into the promised land. Mountain number two, Jericho. We've all heard of Jericho. I've had the privilege of being there two or three times, actually climbing down in the ruins. I'm not sure it was totally legal, but uh, some of our youth group and some of our, our tour guides and, and all allowed us to do such. And uh, just to be where the walls were of that incredible story that we read about in Joshua chapter 6. Now, the historians and, and scholars tell us that Jericho probably was a city of around 3,000 people. The Bible tells us that Israel had an army of 40,000 people walking around the perimeter of Jericho. So it may seem like the odds were stacked, 
But understand, too, that every city in Israel and in those ancient days was a walled city, and Jericho was the epitome of a very protected and walled city. Uh, the walls were wide enough. Some people say that a chariot could ride on top of them. Archaeology seems to find that uh, to be the case. I have posted some pictures of, of ruins as well as a, a diagram of what the city might have looked like as Joshua and the children of Israel approached it. Regardless, it was a very fortified, very solid, very protected, very beautiful uh, as well. City of Palms is what Jericho is. So it was a very strategic city the first city in the battle for the promised land. You may think it was advantage Israel because of the numbers, but Jericho was also very, uh, not only strong with their walls, but because they had such a, a mighty rampart, such, that, such a, a, a vantage point, they could actually take out with their arrows, with their rocks, with whatever else they might do, the children of Israel. And so it would have been a long war of attrition to even be able to think about getting into the city of Jericho to, to conquer it. But of course, you know the story. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And again, you can read some archaeological reports. Uh, uh, an archaeologist by the name of Kitchen uh, spent a lot of time there, a lady, and, and many believe, she believed that she found the old city and actually revealed the, the walls of the city. Again, getting a little deep there, but just understand that, that Jericho was a very powerful city. It was also not a nice city. Sometimes we think of these cities of just, they're just nice people uh, going about their life and all of a sudden uh, this invading army comes to take them out. That was not the case. The culture of the Canaanites was a very brutal culture. There was uh, ritual child sacrifice quite often to the gods and for lots of different purposes. Uh, they were also marauding armies themselves that attacked other people, including the Israelites, as they were journeying. The Amalekites, the Canaanites, often attacked uh, the uh, children of uh, Moses, of the children of Israel, uh, as they were on their way to the Promised Land. Uh, there was uh, very much uh, a very immoral sort of uh, culture there. So uh, the, the city wasn't just uh, a pristine example of where you wanted to live. It was very brutal. It was very hard. Uh, it was uh, very wicked. And so the children of Israel come against. God provides a miracle. They are able to win the battle, take the city, uh, and uh, capture, no, well, actually not capture, destroy the inhabitants. Now, again, some will say, well, how could God allow that? Well, or why would God even command that? Again, my friends, I'll take you back to World War II. Um, if you've never fought in war, you, you may not understand the concept uh, of uh, and the brutality of war. But war is messy, it's wicked, it's horrendous, uh, and it is, it is such, a, such a curse upon the earth. And yet, sometimes, it is necessary. Remember I mentioned about World War II in Japan, uh, and many people think about the morality of, of ending the war by taking the lives of 100,000 plus innocent citizens to save perhaps two or three million citizens that would have died otherwise. I'll let you debate that and decide in your own mind, but I would say to you this, and I'm saying this as an American, uh, 
whether it was with an atomic bomb or with swords and arrows and spears, people died. Call it collateral damage. I hate that term, but it is nonetheless true in this uh, battle. And certainly uh, with the bloodshed that was there uh, all through these battles, uh, there was certainly a, uh, it was just a messy affair. War is always that way. You may judge God and you may judge the children of Israel for what they did, but I would say that it was a part of the world of that day just as much as it's a part of a world today that we live in. And until Christ comes back or until we get to heaven, we're never going to escape the reality of war. Even as I stand before you, there's war raging in Israel. There's war raging in other parts. We could go to the Ukraine. Uh, there's wars all over the uh, planet right now. Nothing has changed and the results are still the same. Innocent people are dying because of these wars. That's Jericho. The conquest of the promised land, mountain number three. Uh, real quickly, uh, you can look at the strategy. The strategy was simply to go in the middle. Joshua was a good general. He broke through the middle of the line, then he turned south. He kind of divided and conquered. You can read all about this in Genesis, or excuse me, in Joshua. Uh, but he turned to the south first, and then he turned to the north. In all, the book of Joshua tells us that 31 cities or kings were conquered. That's the conquest of the promised land. And that was the easy part. Mountain number four is the division of the promised land. Lastly, uh, again, I'll reference the Facebook side of the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. I've got some maps and, and uh, uh, charts that will help you to understand. But uh, most of us know that the land was divided among the 12 tribes of Israel. And those 12 tribes were just that. They were not a united states of Israel. They were not united in much of anything. And it shows as we move into the next book, the book of Judges, as they warred against the enemies that were around them, but then they sometimes warred against each other because each tribe became its own state, if you will. So the last part of the book of Joshua tells us about the division of the promised land. Joshua died. He was 110 years old, the scripture said, and there was peace for a while. A peace doesn't last very long when sin comes in and when there is no strong leadership. So we're about to get into the next book, Joshua. It's the next book. What is that? Judges. We're going to talk about a very interesting, uh, odd, and uh, very human book, the book of Judges. Hey, thank you for spending some time today. Hope this has helped you in your understanding of the book of Joshua. Just remember, Joshua is about the conquest of the promised land. Look forward to seeing you next week as we again talk through the Bible on this, the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to our channel. And if you would be so kind, share it with your friends who might enjoy it. We would also love it if you would leave us a review. It really does help us. Join us next week for another episode as we work our way through the Bible book by book. Have a blessed week.